usually every fifth Sunday, but just occasionally, uh, give ourselves the opportunity uh, to do some communal storytelling. And storytelling is one of those things that is, um, we sort of take it for granted in some ways. Um, it's a thing that tends to be, uh, we all do it. We all tell stories. We tell stories about our family. We tell stories about whatever happened to us during the day. And I think we kind of do it because we know that it's important. Uh, we know that um, as we recall the things that are happening, uh, it does something. We don't always name that. Here my child is with some super shiny sunglasses. Um, in Hebrew, the word for remember actually has this image of taking the past and bringing it into the present. Um, it is a way of kind of, it is sort of a way of unifying time. Um, it's a way of, in some ways, bringing our ancestors into the room with us or acknowledging that they're already here and that they're speaking. Um, it is a way for us to recall what has happened so that we might be able to chart a path for the future. I just heard the often quoted quote recently, those that don't, uh, those that don't remember our past are doomed to repeat it. That's sort of a negative application of this call in scripture to remember. Um, so the reason we do storytelling is not just because it's fun, although it is, and not just because it's vaguely meaningful, although it is meaningful, but because it is a way for us to continue to remember and live into God's faithfulness, being indeed yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Um, because you got sunglasses, baby. So we are going to hear three stories this morning. Uh, we're going to hear two stories from folks among us, and then we're going to hear a third story via video. And the way that I want us to engage with these stories as we hear them is to give ourselves an opportunity to ask, what is standing out to me in this narrative? How is this story um, reminding me of my own? Perhaps the question might come to you, uh, what is uh, creator trying to show me or reveal to me as I take in this story? Is that all right, everybody? I hope we're doing all right. <laughs> oh, you can't hear them. Uh, but you're going to hear our first story. Um, and our first story is going to come from Katie Jo. Katie Jo, are you ready? I think so. Um, hi, everybody. Good morning. Um, so I have been asked today to tell a story um, about neurodivergence. Um, I have to say, I don't know that I feel the most qualified to tell this story because neurodivergence, I think, is a relatively recent part of my personal story, but um, I'm going to sort of walk you through what exactly that means and um, some of what I am experiencing and thinking and feeling through all of it. Um, so to get more specific, earlier this year, I sought out and received an ADHD diagnosis. Um, and I will say to many people who know me, uh, both on a very superficial level and even some of the people who know me best in my life, um, this came as a little bit of a surprise. 
Um, throughout my life, I've been the kid who got straight A's, went to a good name college, a top law school. I'm now a lawyer and a manager. Um, and in many ways, I'm that person in whether in group projects or at work or in friend groups who says, let's get things done. This is the plan and here's how we're going to execute it. Um, and I think this really ties into uh, one of the false narratives about ADHD in society, which is that often when we think about ADHD, we think of hyperactive little boys who have trouble sitting still. Um, ADHD is actually a neurological condition related specifically to how the brain regulates dopamine, but that translates more generally into difficulty with executive functioning, which can look like difficulty with focus, with time management, impulsive decision-making, as well as sort of the hyperactivity that I think people generally think of when you think of ADHD. Um, but because we have this false narrative about ADHD, I think, uh, not I think, but in fact, it often gets overlooked in girls and women um, because it presents very differently and because we are told to present very differently. Um, and so for many of us, uh, we spend the rest of our lives trying to just work harder, telling ourselves that it is our problem and that if we just uh, work harder, these challenges should not and will not be an issue. Um, and that was certainly true for me throughout my life, I think under the high achieving facade, I was flailing just to keep my head above water. Um, uh, I think was, again, was able to, was able to make all these achievements, but um, underneath that uh, was having so many challenges with even tasks as simple as getting up to take a shower, never mind tackling a big assignment or project. Um, and in hindsight, I think, um, I'm sorry, let me re -go, go back to these notes. Uh, and this resulted in things like denying myself sleep to compensate for difficulties handling work in school um, and in law school developing a debilitating anxiety that seemed to come out of nowhere, but in hindsight was very much connected to how hard it is often felt to navigate this world with the brain that I happen to have. Um, so after sort of a lifetime of struggling with some of these things, um, a few months ago, at the beginning of the year, I started the process of assessment and a few months ago received my official diagnosis. Um, and even though I had, I was a person who initiated the process and sought it out and, and therefore knew it was probably true, it really triggered a wave of very intense emotions for me. Um, somewhat Obviously, there was relief at finally being seen, um, but what was less expected for me was the way that official diagnosis brought with it a lot of shame and grief. Um, to speak to that a little bit more, I think uh, for, for several years now, even before officially being diagnosed, I have really been aligned with, with sort of uh, some of the emerging thought around neurodivergence, which says neurodivergence does not mean deficiency. It doesn't mean that there's something wrong with you if you are autistic or you have ADHD um, or you have depression or anxiety. It means that you have a brain. <laughs> it means that you have a brain that is structured in this particular way and our world just so happens to be structured to accommodate only one very particular type of brain. 
despite the fact that only a small margin of humanity actually has what we have called a neurotypical brain. Um, so I've thought that for a long time, but even so, when I got a diagnosis for me, um, I found myself thinking I would have stood up for any one of those people, but I would have never thought myself to be one of those people. Um, and I think coming into that realization and, and feeling that reaction in myself really highlighted how deeply internalized these ableist views we have, um, how deeply we have internalized these ableist views of the world and of each other, um, that even if you have all the right ideas in your head, um, we have uh, really taken into even our bodies and a, a very particular idea of what it means to be a good and worthy person. And that those ideas are so intrinsically tied up um, in very specific notions of productivity and normalcy. Um, so there was a lot of shame that came with it, a lot of internalized ableism that I've had to process and sort of confront within myself. Um, but I would say the most overwhelming feeling and probably the one I am still struggling with to date um, is grief. Um, I have often wondered in the days since getting diagnosed and I'm still wondering how different my life could have been if earlier in my life someone had said, uh, someone had seen how much I was struggling and gotten me help. Um, maybe I wouldn't have been labeled argumentative, stubborn and contrarian all through my childhood. Maybe I wouldn't have broken so many plates um, or cell phones for that matter. Um, maybe I wouldn't be consistently late for everything or always have a stack of dirty dishes in my sink, including right now as, as I speak. Um, maybe in my freshman year of high school, my new friends at a new school wouldn't have taken me aside to tell me I was too intense and needed to tone it down. Maybe I could have held down a real actual romantic relationship Maybe I wouldn't worry that my intensity and my impulsivity make me impossible to love. Maybe I wouldn't have spent the first year of law school lying on my bed, unable to move or even breathe, or running out of classrooms to cry for absolutely no reason at all. Maybe I would have passed the bar exam the first time. Maybe the last five years of my professional life wouldn't have felt so incredibly challenging. It's really impossible to know if any or all of these things are related to ADHD or are simply me, or if that's maybe the wrong question. And my ADHD is intrinsically tied to who I am. Um, and, and, um, and there is no way to sort of parse out, this is the ADHD and this is you. Um, but I am really, I find myself in a moment of really grappling with this question of who would I have been? Um, had somebody recognized that I was struggling to navigate the world in this way. Uh, having said <laughs> all of that, and with all of the grief and the shame wrapped up in that, um, I do still come back to the relief that I mentioned at the beginning and the grace and the spaciousness that has emerged for me in knowing the reality of who I am. Um, one of my favorite books is Till We Have Faces by C.S. Lewis. And even though C.S. Lewis doesn't quite hold the same space for me that he once did in my evangelical days, 
um, it's a story really about confronting oneself. Um, and at the very end of the book, the protagonist says, um, how can how can we come face to, how can the gods meet us face to face till we have faces? And it's really a story, um, it's really a story about how in order to encounter the divine, we have to know ourselves. Um, and unless and until we do, that encounter will not be full. And so I think about that a lot as I think about navigating the reality of who I am and the way in which the world sees me and the way in which the divine sees me. Um, and I think that thought has given me a lot of grace and a lot of openness to also lean into the joy of who I am. Um, the, the opportunities that come from me in being able to learn more about how my brain works, to find new ways to navigate the world, um, and even to reaffirm the ways in which having a not neurotypical brain has shaped parts of myself that I really love, my ability to synthesize information in creative ways, the way I stand up for what I believe, um, my ability to read people and situations faster than I can think through them. Um, and some days I just float through my house doing a little bit of this and a little bit of that and a lot of nothing in a very non-linear way um, and let my body and my brain wander where they want. Um, and I think there's such a beautiful spaciousness that I am encountering in learning that wandering. Um, I don't know if I'm going over time, but I am. I want to just end with a blessing and a word of comfort to those of us who are trying to learn to live in a world not made for our bodies or our brains. Um, I hope that we find a radical self-love and I hope that we find a knowledge that allows us to encounter the divine in a deeper way. And I also continue to pray that we will together, um, whether neurotypical or neurodivergent or somewhere in between, that we will build a world that holds a more expansive view of what it means to be human and that we can together build a world that is kinder to each and every one of us, regardless of what our brains or bodies may look like. Um, well, that's all I have. Thanks, everyone. Thank you, Katie. Um, I can tell that folks are resonating and I want to give us just a minute to, uh, kind of take a breath and, um, to really let Katie's story, uh, find its place, uh, in our hearts, perhaps even in our own story. Um, neurodivergence is not deficiency. I heard those words. Neurodivergence is not deficiency. What words did you hear? You can put them in the chat or you can just allow yourself to settle for just a minute. I'll give us a moment of silence. Amen. We are going to hear another story 
um, this time from Adam, who my daughter astutely notes went bowling with us at our church retreat. Uh, that is how <laughs> she remembers you. Um, Adam, are you ready? Yes, remembering the important things, bowling. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Uh, well, hi, everyone. My name is Adam Wall. My pronouns are he, him. Uh, I'm relatively new to Bethel, uh, and the past few weeks I've been participating in the Secrets of Hillsong discussion group. Um, it's actually my first Bethel midweek group, so it's been great to further connect uh, with the community, and today I'll be sharing a couple of reflections from that group. Uh, so first of all, I, I think for those of you who aren't familiar, uh, Hillsong is a mega church originally founded in Australia uh, and has campuses around the globe. And the documentary is a four-part TV series um, diving into that. Uh, so Hillsong was operating at this truly massive scale and were tremendously influential in a lot of modern evangelical culture. And were one of the one of the forerunners of Christian cool, I think as you could call it. Uh, the New York church where a lot of the documentary starts, for example, is where uh, Justin Bieber was baptized. Uh, and for me, Personally with Hillsong, I, I knew them from their music. I grew up with a lot of their music. Um, they were a staple of every worship set and I think were a pretty big cultural inspiration for many a youth group that I've attended as well. And for many people uh, within the sphere of American Christianity, it's, it's probably pretty likely that you've had a connection with a church like Hillsong uh, at some point in your life. The documentary, however, uh, gets into much of the scandal of the church, and wow, it's it's really the the full menu of everything that you could imagine. I think um, affairs and sexual harassment within church leadership, uh, rampant spiritual abuse and abuse of volunteers, treating women like accessories more than people, uh, shaming of people, racism, misuse of funds for personal gain. And at its darkest, even child abuse of the worst kind and cover-ups and financial cover-ups to hide those instances. Um, so yeah, it's tough. And for me, it inevitably leads to this question of why. Uh, because while Hillsong's story is incredible in the depth of its insanity, uh, the reality is that many parts of it are unfortunately not unique. Uh, and the church, and especially it feels like evangelical megachurch culture, this keeps happening um, again and again, at least parts of it. And it makes me wonder, how did we get from this place of having communities which are built to collectively pursue Jesus and serve each other and go into these giant corporations, which it seems like are often rotten at the core? Um, it's tragic, and I've been wrestling with this thought that when the world sees Christians as fake um, and the church is an often corrupt institution and one of the biggest perpetuators of systemic injustice rather than a liberating force from it, in a lot of cases, they are probably right. Um, and that is a tough thing to, to wrestle with uh, and to engage with as a Christian. Uh, however, we don't just see these and study these examples to relish in the gossip, although I will confess to some morbid fascination with watching the house burn down. Um, no, we've been, we've been discussing why in the group and what do we learn about ourselves and about being a church um, from this and from studying the past, lest we'd be doomed to repeat it like we were talking about earlier. Um, and for me, this has been super enriching to talk about and to learn from others in the group um, and to experience it through their eyes as well. 
um, to learn how patriarchy's deep roots set us up for this, and we need to unwind that, uh, about how when an institution is designed to be centered around a human individual who becomes God or becomes God's voice to that group, um, that can be a breeding ground for all kinds of abuse, and how when that person does your thinking for you, rather than challenges you to think and question, um, you can abdicate responsibility and set up a twisted power dynamic in that way as well. And about how when a when a church and then that church's goal becomes growth and becomes numbers, um, that can make you do very, very different things than when your goal is to help the, the poor, uh, needy and hurting. So um, all that to say, there's, there's a lot to work through um, with this and, and the system that caused our churches to be broken run, run pretty deep. But I'm thankful that we can acknowledge this, that we can study it, we can learn from it, um, hopefully to become better and to talk about how we, how we can learn and how we will change. Um, so yeah, thank you for, for listening and um, hearing from uh, some of the experience from the group. It's been tough to talk about, but also good to, good to learn from. Adam, thank you. Thank you. We have in, indeed had a, I would call it a meaningful time. <laughs> uh, good feels like a weird word in reference to that documentary, but we have had a meaningful time <laughs> as we have unpacked that particular story. Um, um, Barney asked a good question. Where can the documentary be watched? Currently, it is on Hulu. That is where, um, that is where most of us are are watching it. Um, and I think it's important, one of the things that Adam said that stuck out to me is uh, there, there can be a fascination with seeing the house burn down. Um, and, and even there is a part of us that can feel like, you know, when a when a rotten house burns down, you think, well, that's, that's, it was bound to happen. Right. Um, but one of the questions that we um, have been also asking is how this story intersects with our own stories as well. Um, so as to not have this be a exercise in watching the house burn down, but also an exercise in allowing our own, allowing ourselves permission to tell our own stories about what it's meant uh, to be in spaces that that kind of remind us of this. So thank you so much, Adam. We have one more story, as I said, it is a video. Um, I'll give us a minute just to reflect on a little bit on what Adam said, but also that'll give me a minute to uh, make sure that this video is set up. So let's take another moment just of silence. 